You're listening to The Finch and the Pharaoh. I will turn into Leafs Twitter wanting to fire my Babcock if they lose on Tuesday night. The Finch and the Pharaoh. This is The Finch and the Pharaoh. On Spirit Live. You know what? It's just such a great time of year. It's Christmas season, right? And the state's got Black Friday coming up. And the best part, Chief Keefe is in Toronto. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Finch and the Pharaoh. My name is Jackson Farrow. Alongside me is Zach Finch. We've got a great show for you guys today. we got to, of course, talk about Babcock. He's out. Chief Keefe, Sheldon Keefe. Next, the 31st head coach in Leafs franchise history. The Raptors are cruising along. They're 11 and 4 currently. Of course, we got to touch on that. NBA roundup as a whole. The Raptors went 3 and 1 in the last week, yet are still out of the top 10 in the NBA power rankings. What's up with that? Of course, busy Sunday in the NFL. And listen, NFL's getting a little crazy. We got lots going on there because it's we're getting closer and closer to the playoff time. Each game means that much more. Uh, and. Uh, wrapping things up, we've got a couple new segments today we've got to touch on, a couple crazy stories, some crazy plays, and of course, a Ryerson Rams recap. But uh, I think we're going to get started with the Leafs. So, voice guy, do your thing. Now it's time for the Fiction of Pharaoh's take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, I don't think we need to preview this story for the Toronto Maple Leafs, as I'm sure most of you know by by now. Um, Mike Babcock, he's uh, he's gone from Toronto, and as we said before, Chief Keith Sheldon Keith, head coach of the Toronto Marlies, is taking his position as head coach. And hey, so far so good. They're two and zero under him so far, and uh, I think Leafs Nation likes this new look coach. Well, he's 2-0, so I would hope they do. But So Sheldon Keefe comes in, and all of a sudden Tyson Berry's got three points in the last two games. Crazy. Wow, I wonder how that works. And he calls a timeout to keep his first power play unit on, and he says he's going to be flexible with the goalies and the back-to-backs. It's almost like he's doing the opposite of what Babcock did. <laughs> yeah, he's been implementing just subtle changes to the team. And I feel like that has spoken volumes in terms of their play on the ice. There's one thing in particular that a lot of people were looking at. And to one, I personally agree with this decision, which is now instead of focusing around a dump and chase game, which Mike Babcock really liked to do, he Sheldon Keefe is looking at more of a puck possession game. For one example, there was a play where uh, Jason Spezza was in the offensive zone. There was no play. So what do you do? He just skated it out, regrouped, went back in, and hey, they kept possession of the puck, and that's just one of the things I'm liking from Sheldon Keith thus far. Yeah, and less, uh, less of that crazy stretch pass, too. Less icings, less, less things like that. They're getting into the zone much quicker, uh, and just in the defensive zone, too, I noticed they really cover the, the... I forget if it's the... I guess they call it the diamond, like the... It's not called the golden horseshoe. That's a different thing. But basically, the area in front of the net where like it's like the highest scoring chance percentage um and right in front of the net there they're doing a great job of like forming a square or a diamond and just keeping everyone out of that area that's obviously an analytics thing it's obviously something that that Keith and Dubis and the organization as a whole wants to prioritize yeah and hey so far so good as we mentioned prior Leafs are 2-0 and with Sheldon Keith. Tyson Berry, first period, first game under Sheldon Keefe, gets a goal, to which we were actually on our friend Aiden and Connor's podcast this past week once Babcock got fired. And Aiden Silifant, co-host on that podcast, 
a god at predicting. He said to us, and I quote, Tyson Berry is going to score his first goal of the year with the Toronto Maple Leafs five on five in the first period in Sheldon Keefe's first game coaching as a Toronto Maple Leaf. And we were thinking, like, what what kind of prediction is that, buddy? Yeah. But, hey, <laughs> he pro- he proved us wrong. And, yeah, guys like Tyson Berry, they're starting to get going. Him being on the first power play now, you really hope to see the Tyson Berry that we knew when he signed. Toronto fans have been looking for the 60-point guy, and so far they haven't quite received it. Yeah, and I think when they traded for him from Colorado, you've when you give up someone like Nazem Kadri, uh, you know, Leafs fans had a real connection to Nazem Kadri. Whether you liked his decision-making in the playoffs when he got those suspensions or not, still a leader on this team. You know, he was there for 10 years. He was a very important piece on the squad, and... You know, you you get a guy back who is touted as this great offensive defenseman on a one-year deal. You have a rental for a guy who's who's supposed to work really, really well in that power play. Fits the mold of this team. It just hadn't been working. Uh, but now that Babcock is out and Sheldon Keefe is in, it's it's working for now. I don't know how much like the X's and O's are playing a role, or if it's just Barry needed a change of voice, change of vibe, perhaps. Uh, but no matter what. Leafs have they they fire Babcock and we talked about it on uh, Aiden and Connor's show on Thursday, uh, but our loyal Finch and the Fair listeners didn't really get to hear much of our takes on it, uh, so we're just going to give you a bit of a, a recap of kind of the whole situation. Uh, so at four thirty on Wednesday, I was in class and somebody just nonchalantly mentioned, "Oh, Leafs fire Babcock." I was like, "No, you're fully, you know what? Like you're joking." Yeah, it says Sheldon Keefe named 31st second. I was like, yeah, right. Like, get out of here. And then like, everyone started talking about it. Next thing you know, it's it's like a wildfire. It spread like crazy, and that's all everyone was talking about. And it was nuts. Like, that, that's a huge story. Um, and obviously Babcock came in here, and he provided stability to this organization. No doubt about it. He provided a lot of things to this organization. A cone of silence, if you will. Wasn't a lot of gossip that got out. Of the locker room, right? Yeah. I, I think Mike Babcock really helped bring the Leafs to a position to win. He wasn't able to get over that hump, but I don't think anyone should bash anything that Mike Babcock has done for this franchise because if it's not for him, you don't even get to the first round. And that's just my take. Of course, there's a lot of talent on that team, but Mike Babcock sort of brought the first hint of winning culture to Toronto, a very successful coach coming to a franchise who before then hadn't performed whatsoever in many years past. 2013 would have been their last playoff appearance, but I think Babcock coming in just started the things in motion, and at the end of the day, he might have overstayed his welcome, looked a little shaky near the end, but um, no bad blood towards Mike Babcock if you're a Leafs fan. Yeah, uh, I think it depends on your perspective, though. I'd make the argument that there were areas in which Babcock, organizationally, I think he was great because he, you know, he's a very process-driven guy. He's all about leadership, you know, being a good man, doing the right thing. All that stuff, all that, not crap, but all that, you know, um, talk. And, you know, all about mental health and all this good stuff. And that is what put the organization in a better position than it was in when he came here. Because remember, Zach, when Babcock came here, right, the, the organization was a tire fire, right? Dave Nonis out, Peter Horacek and Randy Carlisle were the last two coaches. Remember them? I wish I didn't. Yeah, you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's the problem with 
Toronto, and that's why Mike Babcock was such a big piece in at the time. The, yeah, at the time to turn the franchise around because when you look at the past, you don't really see much further back than Babcock in terms of this decade. You look at the team they put together and currently the run they're going on, which is now helmed by Sheldon Keefe. But at the end of the day, Babcock was able to get them where they needed to be at that point in time. I just think at this point in time, Babcock isn't where he needs to be, and neither is the team following him. So a change needs to be made. Yeah, um, definitely a change because I think that the the demographic, not the demographic, but the the age range on the team changed, right? Like Babcock is good with players like Morgan Riley and John Tavares and Nazem Kadri and Tyler Bozak, guys who are a bit older, already a bit established in the league, who can take their game to another level. He's good at that. An area he struggles with, or at least here he did, was working with the young guys. And I got a story later that I'm sure you've already heard of, but I will detail that a bit later. But it's not just that. Um, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, they were they were fun in their back. They're great. Like, Nylander put up 60-point seasons, and Marner got 90 points playing alongside Tavares. And Matthews won the Calder and got 40 goals in his rookie year. But um, it's time for a change. And it was they he had over overstayed his welcome is a weird term because it's he wasn't it, it, he didn't overstay because he still had four years left on his contract. But he just that voice, I think, just became redundant in the players ears and they didn't want to they didn't want to deal with him anymore. And when the players aren't on board with the coach, no matter what schemes the coach is trying to implement to the franchise, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. If the players are butting heads with the coach then they don't feel motivated to go out there. And that was definitely the case with the young guys, as you just met, mentioned, and uh, even Travis Dermott. Yeah, a young guy like Travis Dermott, who had been coached by Keith Pryor in the minors, uh, you know, then comes up, and geez, this is a second-round pick. They passed on Travis Konechny to pick up Travis Dermott. I just realized they're both named Travis. Interesting. <laughs> Anyways, so that's a dynamic, too, is that you know Travis Dermott, this is somebody who comes up, is playing defense, needs to be coached the right way, needs to be told what to do, and you'd think Babcock would be the guy for that. But And, and Dermott has had his moments for sure, but you know, in his comments that we're about to play here for you, it, it seems like there may be something you know, scratching at the surface here in terms of something not being right. Uh, here's Travis Dermott, Travis Dermott with Sean McKenzie, uh, on Keefe's first game with the Leafs. Sending out the news that Mike Babcock has been fired, just how would you describe the mood and the vibe around the team? I think we're just ready for uh, for a different vibe, to find something else, to find some energy in ourselves. And uh, Kyle thought that was the right play, and I think we're going we're gonna to make it the right play. We're not going to give it any other chance. So we're, we're ready to come out today with some new energy and really find ourselves. You're one of the many guys on this team that knows Sheldon Key very well, playing for him. How would you describe him as a head coach? The boys want to play for him. I think he, he lets us play into our skill, and I think that's exactly what we need. So like I said, we're really excited to go out here. We're really excited to to bring a nice first game here for Kiefer and uh, see. We for Kiefer, see, boys love playing for him. A lot of things to note from that. Did was it just me or did Travis Dermott just vibe check Mike Babcock? Yeah, he did. He fully said we need a different vibe. Like he Babcock obviously didn't pass the vibe check, and Dubis and Shanahan investigated the vibe, and it was determined that Babcock was not giving the right vibe in the locker room. Like, it's a great analogy. Yeah, and so the vibe was changed. Sheldon Keefe brought in, and Travis Dermott said the boys want to play for him, and I think I think he passes the vibe check, if you, if you ask me. 
Sheldon Keefe, Chief Keefe, oh, he passes the vibe check, especially in the room. As you can tell, Travis Dermott. You know, there was one clip, I'm sure you people have seen it, Leafs Nation especially, uh, at the very end of Keefe's uh, first game when they got the win. You see that? Uh, it's like it's like the blueprint on the Leafs channel. It's like he comes into the room and he delivers a little speech to the boys and they're all so happy and it's just a good vibe. Everyone's happy. Everyone's positive. Tavares gets up and has a, you know, a, a swear word laden speech and it's it's awesome. And that's something that it's just a breath of fresh air, I think, for this team more than anything. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out now with, with Sheldon Keefe and how they're going to change his style. And, and remember, Leafs Nation, like as the games go on here, you're going to see more and more implementations of a new style. Yes, because first game, even first two or three games, like, his whole scheme's not there. Yeah. It, what I found funny was Sheldon Keefe on the Sportsnet broadcast was put at the first star after they won 3-1 against Arizona. But I was yeah. thinking, sure, there were a couple differences to look at, a couple uh, coach, coaching decisions that you know helped their victory. Yep. But I was thinking, you can't fully change a team in one morning skate. No. That was mostly a Mike Babcock Leafs team, and Sheldon Keefe gets the first star. I just thought that was kind of funny. So whenever like Frederick Anderson made a great save, you know, it's kind of the joke where, right. you know, Keith made the great save. But at the end of the day, it was still the players. I just found that funny. But, hey, at the end of the day, 2-0 and for Keith, 3-1 against Arizona. And then, like we mentioned, Tyson Berry and Nazem Kadri, they played their former teams for the first time. Uh, 5-3, Leafs come out with the win. Beautiful. And, listen, that Colorado team is downright filthy. They are a really good hockey team. They're having team. a really good season so far. Like, that Nathan McKinnon, he is so fast. <laughs> that guy, yeah. That, <laughs> that guy. We get a guy. He is filthy, dude. And Nazem Kadri fits perfectly on that team. Hey, he got two assists against the Leafs. Absolutely. And you know the boys were, were dialing up for that game, too, for Kadri. That's a big game for him because there were some comments on the Hockey Night bro- on the Sportsnet broadcast about how Dubas called Kadri for like 45 seconds when he was traded, right? And, and okay, might be greasy, might not be greasy. We don't have full context. Yeah, kind like, of a see you later, buddy. Yeah, but also think about it this way. And Dubas, I think, touched on this at one point. He said, I didn't want Kadri to learn from the media or learn from someone else. I had to call him quickly to tell him, right? Like, it's it, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because then if you if you don't call him because you're waiting to give him because you're waiting till you have more time to give him a, a big speech and a, have a great conversation with him, he probably already finds out about the trade on Twitter or through the score or through NHL.com. Yeah, and that, that's the problem. Everyone's leaking information so fast these days. Everyone's so yeah. informed right when it happens. Like you said, 4.30, by the time 4.31 hit, everyone knew about Mike Babcock being fired. It's just yeah. one of those things where if you're a general manager and you're in a higher up position you need to tell your players before then absolutely um so that kind of wraps up kind of what we were thinking about the Leafs here listen they've they've won their last two on the road and it's been prettier than it was in the past and the sky isn't quite falling in Leafland anymore which is good to hear they're at Detroit uh on Wednesday night which is a big game uh, because D- Detroit's a young team, a team that isn't very good. Ever since they got Robbie Fabry, they've been turning it up a little bit, but oh, he's at, a the, really good at the player. end of the day, they're still the Detroit Red Wings. Yep. Uh, they are losers of at least their last five. They've lost their last four in regulation. So, yeah, I'll just say that. Divisional rivalry, though, we know how that works, Zach. Anytime you're in a division, it's it, it can be a battle, right? Because these teams know each other well. 
but uh, it'll be interesting to say the least. And 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 listen, like Sheldon Keefe still hasn't had a game at home. He's not going to get one until Saturday here at the second half of a back-to-back against the Buffalo Sabres. But be interesting to see. Do you think they can go? Uh, what are the odds they go four and zero on this roadie? Mm, slim. I think. But they got Detroit, which they could beat. Yeah, I think so Detroit you can get, but Buffalo uh, on Buff- Friday. Buffalo has been good this year yeah. so far. They've had another Buffalo start where they, you know, they kind of skyrocket to the top of the standings. Right now, uh, they've they've already kind of started their digression. Uh, right now, they're ranked actually just behind the Leafs, uh, one point back, but two games in hand. So I think it's gonna be an even contest. But hey, Eichel. He's heating up. He's been getting points in his last few. Oh, so is Tyson Berry, though. Yeah, so hey, it'll yeah. be an interesting battle. Battle of the QEW. That's right, the QEW war. So now moving on here, kind of to a general NHL recap. You know who's really been disappointing? It's it's funny, like there's a totem pole of attention when it comes to struggling Canadian teams. Leafs kind of off that board now because they made the change. And we'll see if they can get it back on the rails or not. Calgary. This Calgary Flames team has some serious question marks, Zach. And okay, so right now they're sixth in the Pacific. They have 25 points. They're tied with San Jose, who has two games at hand on them. Now, San Jose has been pretty hot recently. But man, Zach, what's going on with Calgary here? Just scoring. Like, they yeah. won against Philadelphia in a shootout 3-2, to two, but... Even before that, you're playing the St. Louis Blues, the Stanley Cup champions. You're a pretty good team from the West. You know, you guys... They're top in the West last yeah. year. Top in the Pacific, please. Exactly. And guess what happened? St. Louis shuts them out 5 nothing, And then before that, Colorado 3-2. It's just 6 nothing Vegas. It's just those types of games where you need your guys to score. As I see a lot of parallels between the Toronto team where they have such skilled yeah. guys. You have Sean Monaghan. You have Kachuk who can... Goudreau. Goudreau. There's so many Anna guys. Finn. And at the end of the day, uh, even like Giordano. That's the thing, too, right? Like, Giordano's a North. He won the Norris last year. And Gaudreau has five goals. Was it five goals? I think it's five goals. Let me double check that. But if it is five goals, that is not good. I mean, come on, dude. Yeah, like, five but, goals. But that's okay. There you go. But that means that there has to be more to it than mm-hmm. just not playing well. Because yeah. when Johnny Gaudreau only has five goals in the year so far, there's something more yeah. to it. And the team's ranked 30th in the league for goals for per game. They get 2.38 goals for it, and that's that's the underlying stat because goals against per game could also be lowered. It's at just over three goals per game. That's 18th in the league. So that can get a little better, but if you're ranked last to second last in the league, <laughs> goals for it, it's not looking too pretty for you, and that's what they will need to change if they are looking to step up and, you know, David Riddick behind the posts, just going to have to big give a, save Dave. Yeah, have a big save once in a while. You know, he's been doing all right this year, but you'd like to see that 2.8 goals against go a little more downward. Moving on through Alberta here, the Edmonton Oilers, they are crushing it, eh? 16-7-3, 35 points. Big weekend for them. It'd be Vegas 4-2 in Hockey Night in Canada and then come back and beat Arizona the next day. 4-3, like, and those are two big Pacific Division wins. And they got Colorado up next. Uh, on Wednesday, that won't be easy, but they're nine five and one on the road, Zach. That's important. That's McDavid and Drysaddle doing their thing. They yes, are so guy. explosive. McDavid has a six point night, three goals, three assists a couple uh, games ago. Yep. Drysaddle hasn't been steadily leading the league in assists or goals. It's pretty much a battle between him and his own teammates <laughs> for both the categories. So just those two guys alone, man, it's all you need at the end of the day. Because if those two guys are going to be more than point per game. You just need guys to do their roles, and 
however Edmonton's doing it, they're doing it super effectively, and it shows in the standings. And moving over to BC here, we got the Vancouver Canucks. They're currently in third in the Pacific, 28 points. Uh, winners of their last two, though. They beat Nashville 6-3, and then Wash 2-1. They got Philly up next. Uh, hey, they're still right in the battle, right in the thick of it. Got some nice young pieces. JT Miller has been really nice there. He's really assumed a good leadership role there. I didn't like the trade when I first saw it. Like, they gave up a lot. I think they gave up first rounder to get him from Tampa, but uh, it's it's worked for them thus far. A good, not a veteran leadership, but just some good leadership, a good player who's been on winning teams before, and it's interesting to see. Yeah, and for the Canucks guys, like Pedersen's finally becoming into his own. There's been a lot of talks if, if he can even compete in his league based on his size, but this year he's been proving that. He leads the team in both goals and assists, 10 and 19 respectively. So he's finally becoming into yep. the draft pick they wanted him to become, and looks like he's going to be leading this Vancouver team from here on out. Yeah, and Brock Besser gets the new contract, and he's doing his thing as well. Uh, and then other Canadian team, Winnipeg. How about Winnipeg? Winners of four of their last five. Yeah, Winnipeg. San Jose next. Winnipeg's always been a team that they're really good. They're right? they're a good team at the end of the day. There's nothing well against them. Well you coached. know, uh, Line A. You know, coming off his. Uh, his little contract situation surprisingly doesn't lead the team in goals. That's Nikolai Ehlers' uh, title. So if they want to do even better, you'd like to look for Line A to get that shot going, get that one-timer. But, hey, at the end of the day, they're looking good. Connor Hellebuck, 2.42 goals against. Yep. Uh, been doing pretty well so far this season. And real quick here, Montreal, yikes, mm. blowing a four-goal lead against the Rangers on Hockey Night in Canada. That one can't be uh, too great. Uh, can't sit too well in the hearts of Canadians fans, Zach. No, not at all. When you go up four nothing against an original six matchup in your home night. building on hockey night in Canada, you can't lose that game with Carey Price in the net. But he also the Rangers aren't that good either. No, there are a lot of <laughs> different categories that, sh that should have been checked off for the Montreal Canadiens. But hey, they blew a four goal lead. And they ended up losing to the Rangers in a, in a crazy margin. It was, I believe, 7-6, seven, 6-5, seven 6-5. Six, six six five, five, five. Yeah. Carey Price allows 6. You don't like that. Habs are losers of their past, two. They will look to get it together against uh, an even bigger matchup, you might think, against Boston. The Boston-Montreal rivalry. That's going to go down this Tuesday, tomorrow. And that is a big game, big game in terms of the standings as Boston's only seven points, only seven points ahead of the Montreal Canadiens for first in the division. And, of course, to wrap things up, the lovely Ottawa Senators, who are 11-11-1. and uh, Hey, but winners of four of their last five, they were able to beat the Rangers on Friday night 4-1, and they have Columbus tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, so that should be interesting. Again, Ottawa, you know, not much expectations for them. But honestly, this is better than I was expecting for them at this point in the year. I'm sure they'll they'll come back down to earth eventually uh, and probably snuggle right into that 7 or 8 spot in the Atlantic. But nonetheless, if you're a Sanders fan, you, you can't complain too, too much about what you've seen given the roster, given the current situation of that franchise. No, and going back to the fans, whenever they play at home, they're, uh, they're above 500. They're actually 7-4 and four when they play in that garbage dump of an arena with half the fans showing up. So those to those 10,000 Sens fans making the trip outside of Ottawa to go watch an Ottawa Senators game, good for you. You're helping your team out. They're above 500 at home, still sitting in seventh in the Atlantic, though. Zach, you know who else is above 500? Let me guess. The Raptors. The Toronto Raptors. Ooh. 
It's time for some Raptors talk on the Finch and the Pharaoh. Well, thank you very much, Voice Lad. Of course, the Raptors, they're just cruising along, Zach. You uh, you wrote it out here. The Raptors are cruising, and yes, they are. They are cruising and perusing. 11-4, and four, perhaps even boozing. They were in L.A. a couple weeks ago. And some injury updates. Yeah, so uh, a couple injury updates uh, regarding Kyle Lowry and Sergi Baca. With Kyle Lowry, not too much has changed, but what has changed is the date we are getting closer and closer to his anticipated return, which is December 1st. He was averaging around 21 points before we got injured against the Pelicans. So he's looking to get back in the lineup, and he is looking to, I guess, help a team that hasn't really needed his help thus far. Yeah, I think that they will at some point, though. I yeah. mean, if you're a Raptors fan, you know that, yes, this is working for now, but Kyle Lowry is such an important part of this team. We saw it in the playoffs last year. We saw it all season last year, and we see it again this year. He is... The heartbeat of that team. And when he's not there, yes, Van Vliet, Siakam, OG, Chris Boucher, they've all stepped up. But at some point, you're going to need that veteran leadership to come back into the fold. Yeah, and they're expecting that leader, whoa, veteran leadership coming back on December 1st. Yeah, uh, Kyle Lowry fractured his thumb on November 8th. So uh, just under a month he'll be out for, and if nothing else changes, something that has been up in the air, though, something that has changed quite a bit is Sergi Baca with his injury. He sprained his right ankle in the same game Kyle Lowry fractured his thumb, the New Orleans Pelicans, on November 8th. With his situation, he's more of a day-to-day. Each game, they're looking at him, and they want to get at least one practice in before he hits the court. He has not practiced with the team yet, so we know he's a little bit of a ways away. But, again, considered day-to-day and, as of now, is considered doubtful against the 76ers. So, Let's just say Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka are planning to come in around the lineup at the same time and give a huge boost to this Raptors lineup. As you said, Siakam, Van Vliet, Boucher, OG, guys like that have been keeping the team afloat, and they are currently sitting, I believe, fourth in the Eastern Conference. Yes, 11-4. and four. My biggest thing is just I hope they're not pushing to come back too soon. right? Because they're, these guys are older now. They had the shortest offseason they've ever had in their careers, and... They're not getting any younger, as I mentioned. And they are very important to this team. So get healthy. Make sure you are healthy. Like, Lowry sometimes forces things back too quick or has these weird phantom injuries where he'll come back and then all of a sudden he's out again. Ibaka, he's had a lot of injury history as well. It's important to, like, take your time because the young guys are holding it down for now. Make sure you're coming back completely healthy. I don't want to see them rushing it back and then re-aggravating it. That's what you would hate to see, especially as the season, you're still in the early enough part of the season where you can afford to lose these guys to injury for a while, but you can't afford to have them re-aggravate. Yeah, especially when you're only a game and a half back of the Milwaukee Bucks in the standings. It's just not worth it at the end of the day. If you want to do another long playoff run this year, you're going to have to have those key guys coming back into the lineup and help carry your team because then the guys who've been effective now, guys like Chris Boucher, you want him as a little secret weapon off the bench. You don't want him to be your main guy right away. Yeah, and then because don't forget, coaches will adjust. Coaches mm-hmm. will figure out his strengths, weaknesses, form a scouting report on him, and you want to save him as that secret weapon for the playoffs. Exactly. So, yeah, Raptors looking good so far as we take a look quickly at the NBA league in general uh yikes botched that one but anyway looking at the eastern conference 
I think a lot of this is academic. The Bucks on top, Celtics following far behind. Not not far behind, I apologize. Tied with the Raptors in terms of being a game and a half back. Also joined in that company is the Miami Heat. And the 76ers not too far behind who the Raptors happen to face soon. Yeah, and the, uh, the Sixers won four straight. How about the Miami Heat, eh? Coming out of nowhere. 11-4. and four. And, you know, people did forecast them to be a good team, but... They've had a lot of young players step up. They are so good at drafting and developing. Yeah, Tyler Hero right off the bat has been a big difference maker for their lineup. And just it'll be interesting to see how he continues his work going forward as it is his first season. And, you know, hopefully a guy like Jimmy Butler can lead him through the season. But as we know, Jimmy Butler might not be the best guy in the locker room all the time. Yeah, I think he has a strong drive to win. And that can piss some guys off sometimes. I'm sure he does cross the line at times, but ultimately he wants to win. He wants to be the best he can possibly be. There's that famous story of him taking all the reserves, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and beating the starters in a practice. I love that. Mm -hmm. It's so Jimmy Butler. It's so gritty. It's like, I'm going to do this, and I don't care what you guys think. I love it. Um, State of the Eastern Conference, just for reference, Orlando Magic are currently number eight seed, and they are six and nine. That gives you reference on just the balance of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times teams under 500 sneak in in the Eastern Conference, yeah. but hey. But Orlando has not looked good. Like they they have not looked good at all, right? Like no. but that's the thing. I mean, who else is going to be there in the 8th seed? Washington? No. Charlotte? Probably not. The Bulls? I thought the Bulls would be a bit better than what they are. You see Zach Levine? Yeah, that was the crazy. They scored 6 points in less than 10 seconds to overcome a 5-point deficit. Yeah, and I think he gets or he, he got 49 points. Yeah, yeah, and he ties a record for like 13 threes or something like that. Yeah. Heading over to the West, Los Angeles Lakers 14-2. and two. Yeah, won seven, and co. won seven straight since losing to Toronto. There you go. Something ignited them. Uh, and they are also number one in the NBA power rankings. They also have had a relatively easy, easy schedule, should be noted, other than the Raptors, which they lost to. And in December... They got two games against Dallas, Denver, and Portland. They also have to take on Utah, Minnesota, Miami, Indiana, Milwaukee, and the Clippers on Christmas Day. So, you know, it's only getting harder from here for the Lakers. Let's see the real test come December. And then, of course, you got the Bucks, who are 13 and 3. All right. The Clippers, 12 and 5. Denver, 12 and 3. And the Boston Celtics round out the top five in the NBA power rankings at 11 and 4. Zach, guess where the Toronto Raptors are? 11th. Did you just see on my screen? I actually did not. That was yeah. a guess. Yep. And I mean, the I. The disrespect, Jackson. Yeah. It's. It's weird because, like, is Utah really better, that much better than the Raptors? No. But that's just how, you know how it works. It's ESPN. We don't need to get into the politics of it, but you know how it works. Yep. They don't. I think we understand the gist of why the Raptors are ranked where they are, and I think that's yeah. all that really needs to be said. But we know what the team is which is fourth in we the know Eastern it's Conference, good. and so far so good guys are coming back in the NBA. So we'll... Don't forget, they're 11-4 and four without Lowry and Ibaka yeah. for a, a big chunk here. Like, give them some credit. And, yeah. hey, don't forget, a guy named Kawhi Leonard just left them in the summertime. Yeah, so if you think about it, without Leonard, Kyle Lowry, and Ibaka, and also Patrick McCaw. Big, big loss. Big loss on that one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They're four and two so far. So and you know nothing to sneeze at, as you like to say. Nothing to sneeze at. Moving on here, it's time to talk some NFL. Of course, it's getting crazy, guys. The NFL is getting absolutely frantic. Coaches are on the hot seat. Players are on the hot seat as well. We've got MVP considerations. 
We've got comeback player of the year considerations. The injuries are mounting up. Well, that was a plosive and a half. <laughs> but the standings are so interesting right now. How about the Buffalo Bills? They're 8-3. and three. <laughs> Yeah, I think we talked about it last year. These fans deserve it. You know, giving themselves CTE from jumping on those yes. tables. But they continue to just keep on rolling. You know, they're winners of their last two, 8-3. and three. Just behind the New England Patriots, which they're not going to catch. But wild card's looking very likely, and it's a very exciting time to be a Buffalo Bills fan. Sure is. Also, Frank Gore passing the all-time rushings list in his previous game. Yes. Congrats to him. Congrats to him. I believe he is now, um, he just passed Barry Sanders to to be third all-time on that list. That is incredible. Like, to pass Barry Sanders, that is something else. Defeat. He's kept his body in good shape, too. He's he's probably one of the oldest running backs out there. Yeah, that's well, tough he is, to do. He is, he is actively, I'm not sure in terms of the grand scheme of things, but he is an absolute machine. Yeah, like, that's not easy to do. To Like, running back is a really hard position in the NFL, especially to be that good at it, mm-hmm. where you're third all-time in rushing yards. Usually like, you phase out in your early to mid-30s just because yeah. of the torment you go through. Even, like, late 20s, probably done, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like. Ezekiel Elliott has maybe five years left, and then we'll, we'll reevaluate, right? Like, yeah. after his big contract is up, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know what he's got left in the tank. Who knows? Because so much wear and tear on running backs. But anyways, congratulations to Frank Gore. Moving on here, uh, Cleveland won, so they're five and six. I don't think they're going to do anything, though, in the wild card race. Doesn't look like it. Houston beats the Colts on Thursday night to move to seven and four. That was a massive game in terms of the uh, AFC South implications because now we've got three teams with at least six wins in the AFC South. So that division's still up, still up for grabs. Yeah, uh, and another big little matchup. Uh, San Francisco uh-huh. remained 10 or grow to 10 and 1 on the year uh-huh. as they absolutely blew out the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers on Sunday night football. Yeah, and they, they throttled them too. You know, the Packers just didn't have much going, and the 49ers were able to just manhandle that defensive line is the real deal man and how about Seattle they're nine and two like they're killing they're it right behind that uh that NFC West going down to the line I think we are going to be looking at that one two of San Fran and Seattle going into week 17 sounding like it. it's gonna be a shame because one of those teams has to play in the wild card game right yeah. between the 49ers the Seahawks and even the Rams are there too right so that's kind of that kind of sucks and Minnesota's eight and three as well now they're tied with the Packers uh, to lead the NFC North, that's going to be interesting. Uh, so, looking here now at some scores uh, from tonight's game, or not scores, but a, the matchup for tonight's game, Baltimore-LA, that's going to be a fun one. Baltimore's favorite, and I have to agree with that. I think what Lamar's done, at least throughout his last two games, I feel like his last two games he's had a couple of... Uh, you know, highlights that have been up on social media, been floating around, and, you know, the spin move from two weeks back. He's starting to actually get some traction now in the MVP race, and he's starting to actually be looked at as a front runner. And, I mean, his work speaks for himself. The Rams are 8-2. and two. They're 4-1 and one on the road, so we'll see how they play down in Los Angeles. But, yeah, interesting matchup. Monday nighter, Ravens, Rams. See if the Rams can get... You know, back on top of the game, we're used to seeing from them from years past because currently it's not been working. No, it hasn't. They've they've had some they've had some like key losses in certain positions, especially on the defensive side of things. But just 
tough division, right? Like the 49ers are a really good team. So are the Seahawks, right? Like it's even Arizona isn't bad with Kyler Murray. They're not great, but you know, could be worse for them. They were worse last year. So that's a tough division, and I feel for the Rams, but at the same time, they went to the Super Bowl last year, so how bad could I really feel for them? Could be a Super Bowl hangover thing, right? Yeah, maybe. And you always get a tougher schedule when you go to the Super Bowl, right? Because you face more division uh, winners and stuff. So, you know, we'll see what happens tonight. It would be a massive win for them, but also a big win for Baltimore, which would probably lock up the, uh, the division for them. Uh, and moving along here now, it's time to debut a brand new segment here. On the Finch and the Pharaoh in our season finale for the first semester. It's called Finch's Finest Play. And here is Voice Guy. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? Finch's Finest Play. Oh my goodness, Tyler Hopper makes an error. All right, yes, it is time for a new segment on the Finch and the Pharaoh, Finch's Finest Play. So to break down this little segment for you, basically what I do is I go on, scour the internet, scour the leagues for some good play, for some good plays, and just some good voice calls the other day by the play-by-play guy. So to kick things off, we're going to the NHL, where uh, I'm sure Leaf fans know much about this. Marc-Andre Fleury made potentially the save of the year against Toronto. And, I mean, the call is great. The save is absolutely unreal. And here's a little clip right now. A.M. into the offensive zone. Rush shot off the crossbar. Rebound! And a diving save by Fleury! What a stop! Diving across the goal line to Rob Patel! That is quite the call. Yes, nightmares uh, if you're a Leafs fan. Yeah. But, yes, what a call. What a save. Open net, diving across. He gets the glove on it. And the rest is history in that game. Vegas comes out with the win, 4-2. to two. You know, I just realized quickly, that's Fleury made a similar save as that in the 2009 Cup Final when Pittsburgh beat Detroit. And Mike Babcock was head coach. That was the last time he's been in the final. He makes the same save in Babcock's last game with the Leafs. Whoa, he might have just done something there, Jackson. <laughs> is is Marc-Andre Fleury Babcock's Grim Reaper? He might be. Sounds like Something it. we'll have to see it later on in the year. But anyway, next up to the NFL, we have Steven Sims on a, a struggling Washington team. He had a nice little play. He had a little 91-yard kickoff return. And here's the clip right now. Sims had a big return earlier, takes this one on the run, lost the football, and stays on his feet, out across the 30, and still going! Steven Sims will take this all the way into the end zone, 91 yards for a Redskins touchdown! Well, he had the dynamic kickoff return to start the game, but how about this one? Sometimes these balls that end up on the field are the hardest for coverage teams to deal with. You Not too sure what the color commentator was going about there, but hey, nonetheless. Had a 91-yard kickoff return at the end. What he was describing there was he quickly dropped the ball off the kickoff and quickly had to scoop it back up. It was also a big touchdown. It was 3-3 at the time. Um, three minutes left in the third quarter. 
um, or no, 13 minutes left in the second quarter. My bad. And Washington ends up winning that one, 19-16. So good for them. Hey. Second win on the year, two and nine. And now, last but not least, uh, we're going to transition over to basketball. Not even the NBA, for that matter. High school basketball. Yes, high school basketball on the finish in the Pharaoh. And there's only one real reason as to why we're doing that, and that is LeBron James Jr. You know, he's been getting a lot of national coverage for his high school games, which I think's kind of ridiculous, but at the same time, kind of cool. We get to showcase this guy and also Dwayne Wade's son. And he actually had his first ever high school dunk nationally broadcasted. Here's a look. Rebound, Shy Odom. Here's Amari Bailey. Ronnie throws it down! Bronny James, his first high school dunk, and Sierra Canyon is loving it. I wonder what it's like to broadcast a high school basketball game. Yeah, it would be interesting. I feel like, well, that's probably got to be high production value. They had cameras, they had professional play-by-play announcers. And even the, the color guy said after the dunk, he said, just like his daddy, which I thought was kind of weird. <laughs> I thought you could yeah. could have made a different call on that. You could have said just like his dad. But hey, you know, he chose his words, and those words are on the internet forever with millions and millions of views. <laughs> Bronny James's first ever dunk. Uh, his high school, Sierra Canyon, uh, won that game 75-54, to 54, and that, that dunk came when they were up 20 in the fourth. So just the exclamation point on top of it all. Eerily similar to LeBron James in high school when he was at uh, Shattuck St. Mary's in Akron, Ohio. Similar. I, I remember seeing a dunk very similar to that, and Dan Shulman's on the call. That's uh, crazy, for, uh, ESPN. yeah. Call, or uh, high school basketball, same thing. So interesting how, you know, they're, they're trying to, like, parallel LeBron James Jr.'s career with LeBron, but I just, I feel for the guy because he's not going to be LeBron James, Right, he's not. He's he might have a nice career. Yeah, he could be very, very good. He's not going to be a top five player of all time. Sorry to break it to you. Yeah, he can be a good a good force in the NBA, but yeah, it's like Michael Jordan having a kid and living it up to him. It's literally the exact same thing in my eyes. I don't think it can ever be done because what are the odds you have two of the greatest players coming from the same family tree? It'd be a feat, and the fact that he's getting getting this coverage now must mean something. But I think most of that is just the fact that his dad's the king. And his name. His name is LeBron James Jr. Yeah. Like you go to the airport, you give the your passport to the you know, the person who's who's signing off to let you go on the freaking plane, they're gonna see LeBron James Jr., they're gonna freak out. Yeah. It's also funny because he said, uh, you know, I don't want a lot of people to compare me to my dad. When, I, I kinda wanna make myself I wanna give myself like a new name, I guess you'd say. Ironically enough, his right. name is LeBron James Jr. So when he steps onto the court, LeBron James Jr. Oh, who's that? Uh, but oh, hey, yeah. uh, you know, he's doing the best he can and the nation's loving it. They sure are. They're eating that crap up. We'll see how long it lasts. Switching over here a little bit. No transition or anything, but again, that was Fincher's finest play, the new segment. So let us know if you enjoyed that. Uh, but now I'm just calling this the most ridiculous story I've seen all week. That's what I'm calling it for now. It's still in the beta form. I think that's all you need to know. <laughs> and this next story will blow your sock, will knock your socks off. So, Mike Babcock, we were talking about him earlier, and we were saying we have something to talk about a little bit later in the show. So, there's a story that came out, broke kind of last night, yesterday, last night. So here's how it goes. I'm just going to tell the story. And I'm going to tell it in a, in a nice, captivating way that'll keep you listening. And it's gruesome. It's not gruesome, but it's, it's dramatic, and it's, it's very vile. So as the story goes, 
Mike Babcock was frustrated with a young Leafs rookie in the 2016-17 season for his perceived laziness in the first half of his rookie season. Uh, all this is by uh, Ian Tulloch for theleafsnation.com, by the way. Does great work. So according to multiple sources, during the Father's Weekend road trip in January of 2017, Babcock asked the young rookie to rank his teammates' effort level that season in order of 1 through 20, ranging from the hardest working to the laziest. So off the bat, kind of weird. But the young player obliged and, per multiple sources, put himself at the bottom of the list, with both parties agreeing that he needed to work harder without the puck. What Babcock didn't tell the young player was that he was preparing to show this list to some of the players who Marner had ranked towards the bottom. I just gave it away who it was. It was Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner was told to list you know, the hardest working players from the most to the least, and the guys who he said worked the least hardest, Babcock took that list, took the words out of his mouth, and then told those players about what Marner had said. Just so greasy and so disrespectful how can you trust someone after where where how do you build trust like that how is that a smart thing to do and those two players specifically were Tyler Bozak and Nazem Kadri so now you're you're dividing your young players and your older players and you wonder why you lost the room you wonder why guys sometimes wouldn't back check fully or the system wasn't fully in place or guys weren't succeeding to their full capabilities. You wonder, and you wonder why they fired him after one game, pardon me, two games of a road trip. I think we have our answer now. Is that Mike Babcock did a lot of things behind the scenes that were highly offside, highly divisive, highly stupid, and downright disrespectful and putrid. And we talk about how the players weren't on Mike Babcock's side. They didn't agree with him. Especially towards the end. Especially towards the end. But this must have gotten the ball rolling right at the beginning. And Marner actually said in a press conference earlier today that he's just happy a lot of the guys didn't take it to heart. And also, you know, Marner being media trained, they asked him how he felt. And he just, you know, played the media training card. said, oh, I was new to the league. I didn't know uh, what was right, what was wrong. And he again, he's just happy that his teammates didn't take it to heart. There's a lot you can read in between the lines based off his expression. I didn't do a great job of relaying that, but you can just tell like he was kind of pissed. And at the same time, he did say he kind of forgot about it until the report came out. It's been so long. Yeah. But at the same time, something like that, you don't forget. No, and apparently he was in tears about it afterwards, which isn't uh, very pleasant either. I know the NHL is for big boys. I get that. But that's a disrespect- disrespectful move. You, Like I said, you lose the trust of your young player. And remember, this isn't a young player who you who you drafted in the seventh round and worked his way up from the eight. No, this is Mitch Marner. You drafted him fourth overall. This guy's a star. So don't be clowning around and disrespecting him and tra- entrap. Like this is entrapment. And think, what are you a little like a high school bully? Right? That's something that I, happened to us in high school. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's literally like thirteen reasons why when they made that list. <laughs> Yeah. About all the all the disgusting things. It's the same thing, but hockey related. So that to me is, and people talk about how the same thing happened in Detroit. That probably wasn't the sole reason. Obviously, not the sole reason he got fired, but it was one of them. And that's kind of my ridiculous story for uh, this week for the season finale of the Finch and the Pharaoh, because it's just it's awful. And that's something that if it happened to me, I'd be so infuriated, and I wouldn't be able to trust the guy. No. And coming from the coach, which is the guy you want to trust the most on the team. 
And yeah, he pulls someone like that and, you know, just, I get, I think started the snowball effect and slowly but surely things got worse and worse. And now Sheldon Keefe is in. We've talked about that enough. So Chief now Keefe. we are going to transition to our final Ryerson Rams recap of the year. A lot of stuff went down for the teams. Um, just waiting for the, the music to kick in there. We'll give it a second. There we, we go. go. All Thank right. You. So to start off the Ryerson Rams recap, the men's hockey team, they've won two straight after losing their five-game winning streak. Mm -hmm. What happened was they beat Guelph on Tuesday 6-5 to five on the road, and then they took down Brock 2-1 to one on Saturday, and they will face Brock once again on Thursday at home. Feel bad for Brock. they got to go back and forth coming back to the Mad Me Athletic Center Thursday. That is tough. Women's hockey riding a five-game win streak, took down Laurier 3-0, overcame a two-goal deficit in the third to top York 3-2 in overtime. They look to continue this on Thursday in Waterloo. And going over to basketball, the men's basketball team continuing to have a shaky year after going to the finals last year. Uh, they did, uh, where am I going here? Anyway, <laughs> they beat Ontario Tech in an absolute blowout. Want to hear the score? 99 to 54. Wow. They, that was the score last Wednesday in Oshawa, but then Queens came along and Ryerson fell to Queens 82 to 73 this past Saturday. And coming from a prestigious program, this team remains unranked still with a record of 4 and 4. Quickly here, women's basketball. They beat Ontario Tech. They also beat Queens on Saturday. They sit in third place. Men's volleyball lost to U of T, but they did beat Trent on Saturday. They're five and three. And then women's volleyball uh, first loss of season against U of T, three to two. But then they picked it back up with Trent. They won three to nothing. There you go. There's your Ryerson Rams recap. The final one of the semester as the teams go into the winter break. And so do we on the Finch and the Pharaoh. So we hope you enjoyed this season. We will be back uh, next semester. Not sure about the timing yet. We'd love yeah. to be in the same time slot, but they mix it up. We should have mentioned, by the way, earlier today that we are on Twitter. We live stream our shows on Twitter. We also are on the Spirit Live video stream as well as, of course, the Spirit Live audio stream. All the podcasts afterwards are available usually a day or two after the show. Uh, on Spotify, Breaker, Radio Host, Google Podcast, the whole deal. Thank you for listening to us this semester. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's been a great semester, and we'll see you around February of next semester as we continue the Finch and Pharaoh. Thank you guys for listening on to Spirit Live, and we will see you next time. Take care.